What's going on, guys? Welcome to In the Neutral Zone, the podcast where we talk all things NFL. I'm your host, Gabrielle Gordon, excited to bring you into week three of the NFL season. You know, I gotta be real here. I gotta be real here. There's a few things I did not think I would be saying going into week three of this season, right? You know, once we get to a certain point, we start to see how teams are gelling together. We start to see how players are, their projections are going to look like for the rest of the year. You just kind of get the vibe for the future of what the rest of the the season's going to look like. And I'll tell you, I did not think that the New York football Giants would be undefeated going into Week 3. They're 2-0, and tied with the Eagles for the top of the NFC East. You know, honestly, that deserves a round of, a round of applause in itself right there. I mean, the football Giants, man, New York football Giants. I don't know if it's a fluke. I don't know if Dable's just a savior. I don't know if Saquon Barkley is just finally Saquon Barkley again. I mean, we have seen that. Something about them just looks different. And it's only been two weeks, right? They haven't played against crazy competition. They do have a cakewalk schedule, in my opinion. I did not think I'd be saying that they would be 2-0 going into week three. Let's just put it that way. Now, on the flip side here, let's talk about the Bengals, who start the season 0-2. They're at the bottom of the AFC North. Look, that's that's not a good division. You have the Steelers... Ravens and Browns all 1-1, one and one. and the Bengals are just sitting there at 0-2, which, to me, is, is does it mean Super Bowl hangover? Does it mean that last year they got lucky? Does it mean that they got complacent? Is Joe Burrow just a bust this year? I don't know. We can't make accusations yet. If they don't win this week, we have serious things to talk about with Cincinnati. And I guess, you know, we have to start with the offensive line for the Bengals because Joe Burrow is getting killed, absolutely killed. Honestly, I'm scared for his physical health at this point because he's getting absolutely demolished. Just most drives, every drive, it looks like. They've scored 37 points in two games. Their passing game is terrible, and they haven't been able to win. So I think it starts with the O-line for them, and I think that's been an issue that they've had for a very long time. Back in the, in the draft when Panay Sewell was in the draft class, obviously he went to the Lions. I always said, and look, Jamar Chase was a great draft pick. He's a stud. I always said that they needed Panay Sewell to protect Joe Burrow. They they obviously went with Jamar Chase. And obviously things would have been different for them last season without Jamar Chase. Do we see them in the Super Bowl? Do we see them in the playoffs at all? without a wide receiver like Chase. But I think Burrow's a good enough quarterback that he does not need a stud wide receiver. He needs guys that can make plays and needs an offensive line that'll give him enough time to get the ball to those playmakers. It's not like an Aaron Rodgers-Devontae Adams situation where Devontae Adams and Rodgers were the dream team. I mean, Burrow and Chase are a dream team. They're a good duo. They're LSU boys. You know, they go back in that sense. But I don't think Burrow needs a dynamic duo like that. I think he could utilize a lot of young receivers and help develop them and have an offensive line that'll let him throw the ball. That that won't, you know, let him get sacked on every other play and their passing game just absolutely fall down the toilet. It's I still go with the thought 
that maybe Panay would have been the better draft pick in that situation, and you may call me crazy for it. I absolutely love Jamar Chase. Tried to give him fantasy this year. Could not, could not make the deal. Could not draft him. He was stolen out of my hands. And I think Chase would be successful on any other football team. Doesn't have to just be the Bengals. But I think that the O-line needs to be addressed. And if we're looking back at decisions that have been made by the Bengals front office, sure, they made it to the Super Bowl. Sure, everybody was hyped up with them because they were not favorites to make it to the Super Bowl by any stretch whatsoever. Any stretch. No chance. Did not have that happening. Maybe if Panay there, things are different. It's a question we will never know the answer to. It's a hypothetical question, but Burrow this year just... Either it's a Super Bowl hangover, which can happen. Maybe they just... They got satisfied. I don't know how you can get satisfied with losing in a Super Bowl. To me, that's a fuel, and then that lights your fire for the next season to not have that devastating loss in the biggest game of your career. That's just me, and I assume Burrow thinks the same way, which is why I don't think it's a Super Bowl hangover. I think there are problems that were masked last year just because of how good Burrow and Jamar Chase are, and the offensive line was able to sustain them, right? Um, that maybe the there's things that are coming up from the surface at this point where now we're starting to see true issues. Maybe they didn't deserve to make it to the Super Bowl after all, right? I mean, they're, they're a, still a developing team. Burrow's a developing quarterback. Jamar Chase is a developing wide receiver. You can't expect perfection, but an 0-2 start means you have to start looking at things. You have to start analyzing things and fixing the problems. I think the Bengals... Uh, past history just surrounds the offensive line. I mean, Burrow tore his ACL and MCL because his O-line couldn't support him. And Bengals head coach Zach Taylor said after their loss to the Cowboys last week that they're giving up too many sacks. I think everything goes back to that offensive line. And I don't want to be mistaken here. The Bengals did a nice job at addressing the offensive line during the offseason. They signed free agents right, Alex Kappa, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they kind of copied the blueprint that the Chiefs used last offseason to overhaul their O-line so they can protect Patrick Mahomes, right, who had been pressured endlessly in the Super Bowl loss. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Luckily for the Chiefs, their O-line, their new O-line, gelled enough that they finished in the top 10 in pass-blocking grade in 2021, But so far, 2022, Cincinnati's had no luck. No such luck in that case. The Bengals ranked 25th in pass-blocking grade last season, and through the first two weeks of this season, they have barely improved. They've nudged that ranking up to 23rd, right? You move up two spots, whoop-de-doo, right? As in the case with most units on a football team, it can take time for an offensive line to build chemistry. But let's be real here, the Bengals don't have a lot of time. They are at the bottom of the AFC North and are 0-2. And it's not looking up at the moment. We know Burrow is a stud. We know what Burrow is capable of. He took his team to a Super Bowl last year, which defied all odds against him. Any critics, just you have to give credit to the guy for what he was able to do last year. Because his O-line was not outstanding last year either, and he still managed to do it. 
But when your all line doesn't gel, when you cannot get a group together, when when you cannot let your quarterback throw the ball, it's a problem. That needs a solution. And I think that solution is you have to help Burrow out by moving the pocket. It's easy to do this through play action, but this is something the Bengals use very little of. Burrow has used play action on only 13.7% of his dropbacks this season, which is the fifth lowest in the NFL. And last year, his play action rate was 18.7%, which is the fourth lowest league-wide. So based on the numbers, it would seem that there are things that Zach Taylor can do to make life easier for his offense. But until he implements more QB-friendly tactics, I really do fear that Burrow's going to continue to struggle behind an O-line that is still learning to work together and protect him. And it's not going to happen overnight. So if they cannot adjust, they cannot give him, you know, better ways to get out of the pocket. Again, like I just mentioned, play action plays, play action passes, whatever the case may be. I don't know if we see the same Bengals we saw last year. Obviously, we know Burrow's struggling, but talk about a quarterback that has turned maybe his entire career around. I don't want to get carried away. Again, it's only been two weeks, but Tua Tugavailoa, his third year with the Miami Dolphins, a lot of questions uh, were arising last year about, is he the franchise quarterback the Dolphins need? Is he a bust? This is his year to prove everything. I've been saying it since day one. If he couldn't get it done this season, he wasn't the right fit. And I think it just goes to show he has worked his butt off the entire offseason to get to where he has been in the first two weeks of this season. In two games, he has 739 passing yards, seven passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. It's not outstanding stats, right? But I think certainly he's been playing as a top 10 quarterback as of late. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell on Sunday became the first two teammates in the Super Bowl era to each post 170-plus receiving yards and two scores in the same game. And their presence has absolutely helped Tua to his finest career outing, which really did flip the narrative on him. When he was appearing to just serve up another bland game, when they were down 35-14 against the Ravens in the fourth quarter, but Tua Tagovailoa, year three, Maybe third time's a charm. He woke up, and he scattered Baltimore secondary. He had 60- and 48-yard bombs to Tyree Kill and the game-winning jump ball to Jalen Waddell. I had Jalen Waddell in fantasy. 40 points was pretty phenomenal. If we can keep that up, maybe my fantasy year goes a little bit better than it did last season. But Tugabailoa's six touchdowns on the day represent 18% of his scoring strikes over a three-year career. And it's a statistical outlier, but it's fair to wonder if more monster outings will lie ahead in Mike McDaniel's offense. We have been waiting for Tua's signature moment. We have been waiting for him to prove himself as a franchise quarterback. Again, it's only week three at this point. Could he fall apart this week against who they got, uh, against the Bills? It is very possible. Both 2-0 teams, they're home in Hard Rock Stadium, but the Bills are the Bills. And that Bills defense could rock him. Could he be set to bloom into something absolutely nuclear? I guess we're going to see, but I never 
had faith in Tua. I'll be real here. And I'm not getting on the Tua bandwagon. I'm not that type of person. I'm not getting on the Miami Dolphins bandwagon. All I'm saying is I never truly had faith in this kid. Ever. Never had faith in him. It just... It's just the way he used to play the game, it would just be like, wow, this kid doesn't belong on an NFL field. And I think a lot of other people were saying the same thing after his first two years in the league. I think he took that personally, and I think he's turned stuff around. And I give major respect to that because if he can keep this up, there are a lot of stories to tell for him in Miami. And in Philly. Another year three quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who happens to also be on my fantasy team. In two games, he's got 576 passing yards, one passing touchdown, one interception. He's got 147 rushing yards with three rushing touchdowns. He does have a fumble, right? But he is making a major leap right before our eyes. He was in full control Monday night against the Vikings. He tossed a 13-yard dart to Dallas Goddard. While he was under pressure before using his powerful legs to plow through defenders for the game's opening score. But I think we're forgetting something here. What about his arm? He fed that debate about his ability to throw the ball, about him just being another, uh, I don't know, lower level of Lamar Jackson with just rushing ability and no throwing ability. He fed that debate a bottle of sleeping pills, all right, with a perfectly placed 53-yard rocket that pushed the Vikings into a 14 to nothing hole. He had a shining first half with which he amassed 300 all-purpose yards and three touchdowns. And let's be real, Philly is a load to deal with this season because opponents have to respect the threat of Devontae Smith, the devastating nature of A.J. Brown, I mean, he's a beast, and Jalen Hurts with his rushing ability on the ground. That was also shown by his 26-yard dash to the end zone that just absolutely shot an arrow through Minnesota's heart, quite honestly. And you can see the offensive scheme has developed in the first two weeks because we saw with week one, Devontae Smith had, I believe it was four targets, no catches. Now we see a little bit more involvement. We see A.J. Brown having a lot of success, more success than he did last year on the Titans, for sure. But Jalen Hurts is making a statement, making an absolute statement, and the Eagles are making a really respectable start to their season. 2-0, and again, they're, they're tied with, uh, with the Giants uh, with a th- at the top of their division, which in itself, I just can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but that's a story for a different day. Could we see Jalen Hurts signify himself as a top-10 quarterback? to continue throughout this season. I think right now he is in that top 10 um, discussion for this year. Again, only been two weeks. I keep having to remind myself that because I get a little carried away sometimes. You know, Tua could fall apart next week. Jalen Hurts could fall apart next week. And everything that I've been talking about could be irrelevant. But the Eagles are playing against the Commanders. They are at FedEx Field, so they are not home. If Hurts can keep this together we really can start discussing, you know, maybe he's a franchise quarterback after all. I think we have to give these guys a chance. I think the term third time's a charm is really showing this year thus far. And will it continue to show? We will see. But right now it certainly is telling the narrative for these two quarterbacks. 
However, we can't quite say the same just yet about Trey Lance, when this year was supposed to be an on-the-job learning season for him, who just started two games during his rookie 2021 campaign. Instead, this year's in-game development was cut short after less than five quarters of play. Unfortunately, he sustained an injury. He is out for the remainder of the season, and Jimmy Garoppolo will take over at quarterback. I mean, the 49ers are still a competitive team, thanks to the veterans' experience and their talent level on their roster, but the loss of Trey Lance does sting, and he is their future, and now his development is going to hit another setback. There is some speculation that he could make a full recovery in 10 to 12 weeks, which would make a return to this season at least somewhat possible. But if we're being realistic, we're not going to see him most likely on the field again until next year. And he faced a lot of criticism this offseason, which he was ready to prove those critics wrong. And then, of course, things took a terrible turn Sunday. He does seem, however, to have earned the respect of his teammates for sure. Actually, Jeff Wilson Jr. was on the Murph and Mack podcast on KNBR, and this is what he had to say. And he's just, he really, you know what I mean? He really ready to prove everybody wrong. You know what I mean? He really ready to show they all because he can. And that's, and that's, that's the, that's the bummer part about it. You know what I mean? And then he gonna have to hear all the, you know, the critics and the down people. You know what I'm saying? So like, all that man is just, it, it, I just hate it for him because man, everybody know the type of player he is, man. And we can't wait to get him back. It would be best case scenario, obviously, if Lance can make a full recovery before the rest of the season's over. Maybe the 49ers can even make a playoff run. It looks a little unlikely, but we'll see how that goes. Bottom line is, maybe year three is the year for him as well. And the narrative continues the third time to charm, because obviously year two is not going to be the charm he was hoping for. And it's just unfortunate. You never want to see a guy get hurt. Doesn't matter what fan you are, what team, it doesn't matter. You never want to see a guy, especially a young guy who has a lot to prove in this league, you don't want to see him get hurt, especially not season ending. But when there's a will, there's a way, and I have no doubt that Trey Lance is going to come back stronger. And I honestly cannot wait to see what he can bring to the table when he is healthy once again. I know I like to give a lot of round of applauses in my podcast. It's just a thing I like to do, I think. You know, my one one of the things I value is that you have to give credit when credit is due. And so before we wrap up this show for today, I just want to give credit to the New York Giants and Brian Dable because whatever has been changing for that team, that franchise, whatever Brian Dable is doing as a head coach, whatever the players are practicing... I don't know what it is, but they don't look like the typical boring New York Giants. They don't look like that anymore. And I'm not a Giants fan, so I'm not just saying this, you know, to to plug my own team or whatnot. I got to be real. I'm excited to watch Giants games. When they come up on NFL Red Zone, you know, I don't just stop paying attention. Uh, I think there's a lot of good things coming for them. Of course, if they can keep it together. I said, and I mentioned earlier, their schedule is a bit of a cakewalk. But give credit when credit's due. Because I can tell you right now, no one, no one, or at least most people, did not bet on them winning the first two games of the season. Well, that is all I have for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to In the Neutral Zone. Have a wonderful, wonderful week three. I will catch you next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
I cannot wait for Thursday Night Football, although I do fear it's going to be a boring game. I mean, come on, Steelers, Browns, yuck. I just don't like that matchup. But nonetheless, it is football week three. I will catch you next Thursday. Enjoy, everyone.